2 Chronicles 32 as we finish up our study in, uh, about Hezekiah and the kings of Judah. Let's pray. Lord God, now we come before you and we humbly ask that you would open our eyes and hearts to understand your word. Uh, Lord, there are so many things that we could dig into and so many things that sometimes maybe we don't even really clearly understand. But I ask this morning that you would make this passage clear, help us to understand it, and help us to learn the things that we need to be applying in our own lives. Speak to us, O God, we ask in your name. Amen. Please be seated. My parents had an old English sheepdog for a lot of years, and um, at one point they were living in an area where the dog could be outside. It was a big enough fence that he could just be outside even when they were gone. But what they didn't realize was that there was a group of kids who wanted to come by and poke at it and throw things at it and that kind of thing. And because he could bark and go crazy up against the fence, you know, they felt really safe. Had he gotten out, it would have been a totally different story, I guarantee you, because at that point, he'd gotten pretty mad. Um, i to show a couple pictures here. This one is, don't rattle the cage. What's the next phrase? Unless you know it's locked. Make sure that you, that cage is locked if you're going to rattle it. Next one is, don't poke the bear. Don't poke the bear. Now, as I was reading this passage this week, seeing how the king of Assyria was talking about God... I just kept going through my mind saying, what, are you crazy? Why would you say those things? I mean, you might as well take a stick and poke the bear, because that's exactly the kind of thing he was doing when he was talking about God. And, and by the way, you just don't poke a bear, because that's just not a good thing to do. You're going to be in trouble if you do it. Let's go to the, the next slide. We're going to go ahead and jump into um, Hezekiah then. <clears throat> Reigned for a number of years as co-ruler um, with his father, Ahaz, and then his father Ahaz eventually passed away and, and, and Hezekiah took over. Second um, Kings 18, 1-3. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hosea's reign in Israel. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David. And so... Remember all the amazing things we talked about that he did last week. His father had shut down the temple and destroyed the stuff that was in it. Well, he opened it up, had it rededicated to the Lord, started temple worship again, and had the Passover for the first time in a really long period of time. All of that was stuff that that, that Hezekiah brought in into doing. Um, one of the things that happened, and, and let me just say, in Second Chronicles 32, we have a very abbreviated form of what we're going to look at this morning. You want to look more deeply at Second Kings 18 to 20 gives you a lot more details, and we'll be referring to some of those. But Hezekiah began his independent reign of his dad, and one of the first things he did was to break the treaty they had with Assyria. Now, Assyria had come in when Ahaz was king, and he had conquered, or at least put down Israel to the point where they, they said, yeah, just go away, we'll pay tribute, just leave us alone. And they were doing that all along, sending whatever amount was required of them. Well, Hezekiah came along and said, no, we're not doing this anymore. He rebelled against the king of Assyria, and they did not send the, the amount of money that they were supposed to send. They didn't send any. And so at some point, finally, uh, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, decided, okay, we've got to take care of this issue. We can no longer have 
countries that are paying tribute to us just stop. And so he comes, and at this point is when the whole northern kingdom is taken and shifted off into places where they never come back from. And he also then attacks um, Israel, or I'm sorry, Judah, and that's when all of the tribute started. Um, and then now that stopped when he when he stopped, but now all of a sudden um, the king has come back in order to exact tribute from Israel. Verse 1 of chapter 32 then says, After Hezekiah had faithfully carried out this work, the temple and the feasts, all that kind of stuff, he did all that great stuff. King Sennacherib of Assyria invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified towns, giving orders to for his army to break through their walls. So remember, Israel was set up with Jerusalem as the capital and big walled city, but they also had a, many smaller cities that had regiments or groups of soldiers within them that were also walled. They were places that were built up across the years. And what Sennacherib is doing is he's attacking these little small places one at a time, breaking down their walls and taking over those cities. Um, at this point, Hezekiah sends a message, and we find this in Second Kings 18, and he says, listen, I've done the wrong thing by stopping paying tribute to, to us. Just tell me what you want. I'll send it to you, and, and you know, we'll call it even. And um, so the king asked for 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. In order to come up with that, he had to strip all of the uh, the money and resources that he had in his own uh, stuff in the in the kingdom, but also the temple treasury was also totally drained in order to pay this this fee. The thing that happened though is that the king said, "Thank you very much for the gold and the silver. I'm still not going to go away. I'm going to be on my way towards Jerusalem fairly soon here." So verse two then is where we pick up that Hezekiah realized that Sennacherib also intended to attack Jerusalem. He consulted his officials, military advisors. They decided to stop the flow of the springs outside the city. So one of the first things he does, he gets together with the commanders and all the other people who, who know something about, about what do you do when you're under siege. Remember, a siege is a, a, an army will come and surround the city, and they're going to starve you out or make it, make it possible for you not to be able to drink. So they can cut off your water and they can cut off your food supply. And they can then cause you to eventually open the doors and surrender. When... King Sennacherib did this in Samaria. It took three years for them to starve the people to the point where they gave up and quit. So three years they were surrounded. So Hezekiah says, okay, when they come, what are we going to do about this? And that's what he's working on. Um, And so one of the things they decide to do is to stop up all of the water supplies outside of Jerusalem. They don't want any of the Assyrians to get that water. Okay, so... Along with that, though, they still need to have water inside. And so in verse 30 of this chapter, we read about the fact that he tunneled from one of the springs outside all the way under Jerusalem to the Pool of Siloam. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel, still there to this day. There's an inscription from the people who wrote it. We're not sure where exactly in this chapter it takes place. It mentions they stop up the springs here. It mentions the tunnel at the end of the passage. My guess is it's at about this time. It's about 17, 1800 feet this tunnel, and it, it was done through solid rock, starting at both sides, going all the way under the city. They finally meet up, and the water comes flowing in. And outside, they couldn't find it, but inside, it was great. So they had water. That was not an issue. Um, <clears throat> so this is this is one of those things where you're looking at it, and you think, okay, so he's thinking clearly. What are we, we're going to go under siege. What do we need? Well, we need water. The next thing would be food and weapons. And 
Verse 5 tells us that he um, repaired the broken sections of the wall and he put up towers, added a second wall in front. So now the Assyrians, if they come, they have to go through two walls to actually get into the city. And so he's doing all of this stuff. So there's a period of time that's going by here. This isn't just a couple of weeks. This is a chunk of time to do all of this. And the king of Assyria is still trying to take down the smaller towns all around uh, the Judah. He also manufactured, it says in verse 5, many weapons and uh, things that they needed. Verse 6, he appointed military officers over the people, assembled them before him in the square of the city gate. Hezekiah encouraged them by saying, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria or his mighty army. For there is a power greater on our side. He may have a great army, but they are merely men. We have the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles for us. And so he gave the speech to all of the people and encouraged and challenged them to trust the Lord in this situation that they're in. There's an implication here from verse 7. I love the fact that there's a power greater on our side. Our side has the power. They don't. They may have more people. They may have more weapons. They may have all the fancy stuff they need to, to do a siege around a city. But we have the Lord our God. We have the Lord our God, and He will fight our battles for us. And you begin to wonder, where did Hezekiah begin to get that kind of thinking in his brain that God could be trusted and that God was someone who would take care of the situation. Well, Second Kings 18 gives us a little insight into Hezekiah. 18 verse 5, it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all of the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Stop and think about that. This is a statement that's being made about Hezekiah, that he trusted God. He was known for being someone who trusted God. David was known to be a warrior. Solomon was known for his wisdom. Hezekiah was known for trusting God. The next verse says, He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow Him. He kept the commands the Lord had given. Stop and think those words through. So he held fast. He clung to. On one level, it's sort of like he's hung, hanging on to God for dear life and he's not letting go. That's the imagery there. Um, so he held fast to the Lord. He did not cease to follow. He says, I'm going to hang on tight. I will hold on and I will follow the Lord and only the Lord. That's the only thing I'm going to do. And then he kept the commands. He carefully obeyed the things that God had given him to do. Now, we, we ask ourselves, where did, where did Hezekiah get all this? Where did he learn to trust God in this way? Well, it's very possible that he understood what it says in Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses last talking to the people of Israel before they enter the land. And this is what it says in 30, 19. This day I call the earth as, my, as a witness against you that I have set before you. He says, I've set before you people of Israel, life and death, blessings and and curses. So he says, I've given you all this. Remember, there's a whole section talking about if you disobey God, you then hear the curses. And if you obey Him, then hear the blessings. He said, I've, I've said all that before you. I've given you that information. And then he says, now choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, and hold fast to Him. For the Lord 
is your life. That powerful? He he understood. God is what matters. I need to hang on to Him with every ounce of strength that I've got. I will hang on to God because of the fact that He is the one that matters. He is my life. Charles Spurgeon, famous famous speaker in in England for many many years, um, lived a life where he dealt with very serious depression. I mean, we're talking very, very, very dark times that he lived through. And he described it as many times, you mean just an overwhelming darkness and a constant source of pain. And, and he, never, he never allowed it to paralyze him. He kept going, doing what God called him to do. And yet this, this sense of darkness was with him many times. And every now and then he would actually preach and he would mention that. And this is a quote from one of his sermons. This morning... Being myself more than usually compassed with infirmities, I desire to speak as a weak and suffering preacher of that high priest who is full of compassion. My longing is that any who are low in spirit, faint, despondent, may take heart to approach the Lord Jesus. He's touched not with our strength, but with our weakness. In such times, Christ draws near <clears throat> to us to walk with us. Isn't that incredible? I love the fact that he was willing to stand up and say, hey, uh, this, sometimes life's just really a mess, and right now that's where I'm at. But you know what? I have God that can take care of that. And he pointed people to Christ. Isaiah was a contemporary of Hezekiah. I'm not sure if this was written before Hezekiah um, or after, but I love Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. This is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What an incredible statement. And you know what? It's that kind of a reminder that we need. So that no matter what we're facing, no matter what the struggles may be, maybe it's physical, maybe it's this annoying COVID, maybe who knows what it is. There's all kinds of things we're going through these days. We are called to hold fast to the Lord. We're called to not give up. And we're called to continue obeying faithfully what God calls us to do. Let's keep going and see what happens with Hezekiah. While King Sennacherib of Assyria was still besieging the town of Lachish, about 25 miles from Jerusalem, he sent his officers to Jerusalem with a message to Hezekiah and all the people of the city. So he sends these messengers, and they basically gather where most of the people on the wall would be able to hear them yelling this message up to Hezekiah. Um, and, and verse 10 says, What are you trusting? In that makes you think you can survive my siege. This is the king speaking. 
Hezekiah has said, the Lord our God will rescue us from the king of Assyria. Surely Hezekiah is misleading you, sentencing you to death by famine and thirst. He goes on in verse 12. And and by the way, what's this message that, that they're proclaiming? You've got no hope. You know, overthrow Hezekiah and open the doors. That's your only chance. That's really what they're trying, trying to have happen. Verse 12, don't you realize Hezekiah is the very person who destroyed all the Lord's shrines and altars? He's the one who commanded Judah to worship only in Jerusalem. Now, this is a really bad understanding of Hebrew theology. Hezekiah did the right thing by destroying all the high places and all the places where the people worship Baal. But these are people who are from Assyria and they don't understand that part of, of Hebrew theology at all. So they're blaming Hezekiah saying, hey, you, know, you guys used to be able to worship. Well, now you can't because he's only letting you do it in Jerusalem. And, and they're trying to make that sound like a horrible thing. But the people, of course, knew that that, that wasn't the case. And then verse 13, Surely you must realize what I and the other kings of Assyria before me have done to all the peoples of the earth. Were any of the gods of those nations able to rescue their people from my power? And and what's he saying? Hey, listen, we stomped all over everybody and all over their gods. There were no gods anywhere that could stop us. What makes you think your God can stop us? He goes on. Which of their gods was able to rescue its people from the destructive power of my predecessors? What makes you think your God can rescue you from me? Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. And Sennacherib's officers further mocked the Lord God and his servant Hezekiah, heaping insult upon insult. Verse 17, the king also sent scorning or taunting letters about the Lord God of Israel. So at about this point, I'm reading this going, these guys are idiots. They're really, really dumb. They're picking on the wrong God this time. And and really, that's what was going through my mind as I'm reading this. And then just the parallel passages in 2 Kings 18. Um, Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save me, save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hands? Then in 2 Kings 19. Hezekiah received the letter. So here's one of those taunting letters that was sent. And he read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread the letter out before the Lord. Now, O Lord, he says, deliver us from his hand. All the kings of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. That's what we're looking for, God. That others will see that you are who you are. You are the God of gods. You are the one that can deliver us from his hand. And then back to um, 2 Chronicles, verse 20. The king Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to the God of heaven. He cried out in prayer to him said, Lord, look at what they're saying. Look at what they're saying about you. Our God. And God acted. Verse 21, and we'll deal with this a little bit further in just a second. And the Lord answered that prayer, sent an angel who destroyed the Assyrian army. Verse 22, that is how the Lord rescued Hezekiah, the people of Jerusalem. King Sennacherib went back to Assyria uh, in shame. And there was peace in the land. So it's interesting because, you know, they win this, this amazing battle. We'll look at it in more detail in a second. But as a result of them winning this, all of a sudden Hezekiah is this amazing guy to everybody around. Look at verse 23. From then on, King Hezekiah became highly respected among the surrounding nations, and many gifts for the Lord arrived in Jerusalem and valuable presents 
for King Hezekiah too. So he became very wealthy just because God took care of the Assyrians. Everybody's saying, wow, he's the only guy who's been able to stand up to him. Look at what he did. So that's, that's, that's kind of the, the, the flow of the passage at that point. But let's just stop for an implication here. Uh, again, going back to what the king said, what makes you think, verse 14, that God can rescue you from me? Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Don't let him fool you. Verse 16, Sennacherib's officers further mocked the Lord God and his servant Hezekiah, heaping insult on insult. The king also sent letters scorning, taunting the Lord God. Let me go back to those two pictures I had in the beginning. Don't rattle the cage. Don't poke the bear. That just popped into my mind when I was reading these verses. You're an idiot. Why are you doing that? 2 Kings 19.32 says this, This is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. So, you know, Hezekiah, Isaiah are praying, and the Lord decides to do something about it. And I love, I love this verse. And the Lord said, I'm going to do something about this huge army, you know, almost 200,000 people. I'm going to do something about it. The Lord sent an angel, just one. He didn't need any more than one. He sent one angel, and 180,000 people were dead, just like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, holy cow, (laughs) these guys were idiots, weren't they? I mean, you know, make fun of God? Okay, go ahead. But he destroyed the Assyrian army with all of its commanders and officers. So Sennacherib was forced to return home in disgrace. The, The image you get is that everybody in the army is gone and maybe just people in his tent survived. And so he wakes up and there's bodies everywhere and he does the only thing he can. He goes home. And later on, his own sons uh, execute him. Um, I love the fact that Isaiah got the letter and took it and spread it out before the Lord. Think about that. He gets this letter, and, and he's got to be thinking, Lord, we don't have a chance unless you do something here. And, and he goes up to the temple, and, and he lays the thing out before God. And he humbles himself, and he starts starts to pray. What better thing could he do, right? Uh, He and Isaiah were praying, perhaps after they laid this out before the Lord, and that's when the Lord said, don't worry, I got this. You're going home the way they came. He laid this out before the Lord. And and just bear with me a second here. God knew what was in it already. He didn't need to see it. God already knew. But I love the symbolism of Hezekiah going to the temple and saying, Lord, look at what they're saying. I'm putting this before you because you're the only one that can do anything about it. I love that imagery. First Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, <clears throat> Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Humble yourselves. Now there's a connection grammatically, if I understand correctly, between humble and cast off. So really, you could say, humble yourself or cast all your anxiety on the Lord 
by humbling yourself. Um, and, and that whole idea of, okay, Lord, here, I, I humble myself before you and I cast it before you because you and only you can do anything in this situation. Let me give you a challenge here. And that is if you're in a situation where maybe you've been praying about something really that's really hard or you're struggling with something, uh, maybe something that seems so big that there's, you don't see any hope at all, I encourage you to maybe write down some of that and then place it before God. <clears throat> I've had a chance to do that a few times where something really serious was going on and I was journaling and I wrote it all down and I basically, in a sense, said, Lord, there it is. I don't know what to do. But you do. Would you guide me? I think there's something really precious in that symbolism of, okay, Lord, here it is. I place it before you. So no matter what we're facing or called to, we need to humble ourselves before God by casting all of our struggles and worries and hardships on Him. He can handle it. He really can, and He really doesn't need our help. He can handle it if we just turn it over to Him and let Him do it. Verse 24, about that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. So we've moved past... The Syrians are now gone. Everything's been taken care of. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill, and he prayed to the Lord who healed him and gave him a miraculous sign. And if you go to 2 Kings 20, it gives you a lot more detail and and, uh, the miracle that takes place and all the things that that God does. But the reality is Hezekiah was ill and was already been warned that he was going to die. He needed to put his things in order, and he prayed and wept bitterly, and God said, okay, I'll give you 15 more years. Hezekiah did not respond appropriately, verse 20 says, to the kindness shown him. And he became proud. So the Lord's anger came against him and against Judah and Jerusalem. Now, we're not told how God's anger was beginning to show itself. Uh, We remember King Uzziah, he grew strong, and because he grew strong and was doing so much in the kingdom, he became proud. And it says that his pride was his destruction. He was unfaithful to God. He went up to the temple and went on in like he he wasn't supposed to and ended up with leprosy the rest of his life. But in this case, God's anger came. In verse 26, then Hezekiah humbled himself and repented of his pride as did the people of Jerusalem. So the Lord's anger did not fall on them during Hezekiah's lifetime. So one of the things that you see about Hezekiah is that, okay, he he made a mess of this, and he became arrogant and proud, and we don't know what it was all about. But when that was brought to his attention, when God made it clear, this is a problem, he repented. He said, yeah, no, I, I, I repent before God. Um, it's hard to know what it was that caused his his pride and arrogance. Was it because God had done so many amazing things? Was it that he had been giving extra time because he asked for it? We don't know. The reality is, though, that when he was called on it, he did repent and turn turn away from that and humbled himself. Verse 27 Hezekiah was very wealthy and highly honored. He built special treasury buildings 
for his silver and his gold and precious stones and spice. So he's, I mean, it's just rolling in. I mean, he's just rolling in the finances at this point. Uh, constructed storehouses for grain and wine and olive oil, had stalls for cattle, uh, places for flocks of sheep. And then verse 29, remember, has, and Sennacherib had come in and had taken on all those walled cities that are part of the protection of, of, of Israel, or of Judah, and, and um, knocked many of them down. And verse 29, he built many towns and acquired vast flocks and herds for the Lord, for God had given him great wealth. So this is after Assyria has gone home now, just the king and a few others, and all of a sudden he's able to build and do all the things that... Uh, that he wanted to do for the people of, this, of Judah. <clears throat> Hezekiah realized that the defeat of the Assyrians was not his his thing. It was God that did it. And yet, again, look at all the wealth and the high and honor. All this stuff comes rolling in on him because of what God did. And uh, once he got his pride issue taken care of, God allowed all that to come back in, and he was a very, very wealthy person. We do have this one other incident now uh, in verse 31. And again, you can go to 2 Kings 20 if you want to look at it more fully later. However, when the ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him and see what was really in his heart. Now again, Assyria still had a control of vast portions of the land. It's very possible that these guys from Babylon are coming and saying, hey, you had a great success against the king. Maybe if we join together, we can you know, get rid of Assyria forever. That's a possibility. We don't really know. They brought uh, you know, things that they gave Hezekiah. Um, and Hezekiah does something interesting. I mean, these are people he doesn't know from a nation that he doesn't know. And he decides he's going to show everything to these guys every single treasure room every single armory everything 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 he shows them now again is it possible that maybe he was saying yeah i can be a good i can be a good ally for you guys look at all the goodies i've got or was he just being arrogant and saying man you should see all the stuff that god that you know god's blessed me with we don't know um the reality is is that Isaiah comes to him later and says, what did you show them? And he said, well, I showed them everything. And he says, well, you need to know some of your own children are going to end up in Babylon, and all of the stuff will be gone to Babylon as well. And uh, Hezekiah at that point said something interesting. Well, at least there's going to be peace in my time. He wasn't thinking about his own offspring down the road who were going to end up being in Babylon. Now, did God test him to make to see if he would fall? No, I don't think so. I think God's test was to help Hezekiah see, this is what's going on in your heart. And you still have things you need to work on. You still need to realize that I am the one who has given you all of this and you need to turn to me and continue to trust me like you did in the beginning. Um, and so, it, again, this is one of those things where you read it all, and yet at the end of his life he died. And he was buried in the royal cemetery, and he's considered, like David, one of the really good kings. There's only one other king besides Hezekiah that's mentioned as being like David, and we'll be seeing him in, in a couple of weeks. Let me challenge you to read some of these passages. Um, 
we're kind of giving kind of a survey of them, but if you want to read all about Hezekiah, there's four chapters in Kings, three chapters in Chronicles, and then some chapters in Isaiah as well that all cover the time span of the life of Hezekiah. Kind of as a takeaway, I was thinking about what when God decided that it was time to deal with the Assyrians, he did not need anybody's help. You think about that? When God said, I'm going to deal with this huge army, he didn't need any help. He did not need any help from anybody. And so when God saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem, um, God did what he was going to do. When he healed Hezekiah, same thing. He didn't need any help doing that. The last thing God wanted from Hezekiah was for him to become proud and arrogant. God did those things, saved the country, restored Hezekiah out of his grace and mercy, not because they were deserved. And that's important for all of us to to remember. You know, God deals with us out of his grace and mercy. He doesn't deal with us out of his wrath. I mean, the wrath of God was poured out on the Assyrians, and rightly so. But the people of Israel, even when they were disobedient, God still kept trying to bring them back, bring them back, bring them back to himself. One of my verses that came to mind as I was studying this passage this week, just kind of to put a capstone on all of it, um, what we learned from Hezekiah. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What a great verse to live by. That's a great one right there. God calls us to act justly. In other words, be honest and fair in our dealings with others. To love mercy. And that's the whole idea of kindness and goodness, again, towards others. And to walk humbly, faithfully, thoughtfully with our God. That's our calling. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the example of a king like Hezekiah. We thank you that you don't just tell us the good stuff, you tell us all of it and you show us the things that he did uh, that honored you and the things that he did that caused problems. And Lord, we thank you for being able to learn from those things. And Lord God, as we leave this place, may we hang on tight to you. May we cling to you with everything and realize that you are our only hope. And so, Lord, help us to live walking humbly and loving justice and mercy and seeking, seeking to be faithful and humble before you. We ask this in your name. Amen.